مرحبا بكم في البودكاسة الأول للجمعية البريطانية السودانية لطب الأطفال وصحة الطفل هذه هي الحلقة الأولى إنه التسجيل الصوتي لورشة العمل الأولى لإعداد المرشحين لمقابلات اختيار المتدربين إذا كنت تريد الفيديو المرتبط يرجى زيارة مواقع التواصل الاجتماعي الخاصة بنا إذا كان لديك أي أسئلة يرجى التواصل معنا نأمل أن تعجبك هذه الحلقة of the globe. Um, it is with pleasure to present uh, Dr. Seb Babiker. Um, he is a, a previous consultant United Pediatrician and the current president of BSAPCH to welcome everybody and, and, uh, and give us a short talk um, about the association. Uh, please go ahead, Dr. Seb. Thank you. <clears throat> Can you see me? I lost some of the Green, I don't know. to say a few words about the British Association of Pediatrician and Child Health, BSAPCH. Uh, next slide, please. Can you make the slides big? I can't see it. It's very small. I don't know what happened to my screen. The screen is maximum, but I think you need to maximize your own uh, screen. Uh, I did something. I don't know what I did. Uh, do you, uh, Technology goes wrong. Uh, the full screen. It, it's just the, the, the slide is very small. Uh, I've been trying to. It's it's actually full screen slide. Uh, I think it's just on your setting. Yeah, that's fine. I, yeah, it's fine now. So. Our association is an academic, non-political, benevolent, in other words, charitable organization established about 17, 18 years ago. And I'm proud to be one of the founding members. Uh, we very carefully chosen to name it BSAP-CH, adding child health. So it's not exclusive to doctors. Uh, anybody interested in child health or well-being of children uh, are uh, welcome to be a member or associate member. We were, over the years, we have worked in very close collaboration with our sister organization in Sudan, Sudanese Association of Pediatricians. Uh, we were very active in the first 10 to 12 years. We attended numerous conferences. Uh, uh, 
we organized workshops. Uh, we did contribute to lots of charitable activities. However, we went quiet in the last few years as most of our members uh, expatriated to the Gulf countries and some of them went back to Sudan. The association is currently in the process of reinvigoration thanks to the young Sudanese pediatricians who joined the association and they are actively uh, recruiting uh, more members. So uh, therefore our priority now is to look after our members, especially in terms of mentoring and career advice. Next slide, please. Interviews. Uh, I think the first time I, could, I was in an interview panel was probably 25 years or more than that in this country. And over the years, I've seen significant change, changes happening to the interview structure and the way it's carried out. Uh, I haven't been an interview for the last four or five years because since I've retired, although I'm still working part-time, but the interview process has become more fair and transparent. The assessment is objective. There is a fair scoring system. And over the years, I've seen more and more representation of non-medical uh, 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 members in the interview panel, especially interview when interviews are carried to appoint a middle grade or a senior uh, pediatrician. Uh, the impressionist attitude, which I want to call it, has been largely eliminated, although not completely. Would I feel comfortable if this doctor is my registrar tonight? That used to be a common scenario in the old days. I don't think this would be allowed nowadays. Next slide, please. So, are you good at selling yourself? Do you have any skills in the art of marketing? I think this is a big question. So you need to know how to sell yourself, even before you apply, when you apply, and if you are shortlisted, then you are definitely appointable, but you may not be appointed. Why? Maybe another candidate outperformed. Something went wrong. Did I dig a hole for myself? And I'm sure our uh, faculty members today will answer all these questions. Try to reflect. Of course, you do get feedback from the panel if you did, did not get the job. But if the feedback you got, wow, well, doctor, you've done really well, you are definitely appointable, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but somebody else if they, uh, perform better. So your aim in the future should not just to be uh, to perform well, but to outperform. So if the feedback is constructive and there were things that went wrong, then you need to make your plan for future applications. Uh, this just a few words, and I'm sure uh, the candidate today will benefit a lot from this uh, uh, workshop. And once again, I would like to thank everybody, especially the faculty members who sacrificed their Saturday and volunteered to participate in this workshop. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Seif, for the short and concise introduction.
I would just like to welcome everybody again and, and say a few words on how the day will run. Um, a lot of, actually all of you have received emails about details of the day and uh, the schedule of the day and the morning sessions will be informed by generic short presentations, uh, starting with Dr. Simon Broughton in just a few minutes from now. Um, these are just intended to give you broader idea of the topics and the stations discussed in the interview. Uh, there will be a short break in the morning sessions between after two presentations and then um, and then we will be back on the presentations again until just before noon. Um, we are going to come back in the afternoon at about 12-ish um, to split all the candidates and everyone into rooms to start the mock sessions. Um, I'll just remind everybody that activities during the day um, are being recorded just for archiving purposes, um, but none of the material is going to be used or published without the consent of, of the presenters and speakers. Um, we kindly ask you all to keep your videos on during the mock sessions. Uh, we understand that sometimes uh, connections may have trouble and if you think your video needs to be off just to make connection better that is completely fine um, but during the mock scenarios it is better to keep it on as part of your assessment will be assessing your non-verbal gestures also um, at the end of the day we will be sending you uh, a link for an online feedback um, it will be really helpful for us to know how we did and, and how the day went on um, because it just makes it easier for us to plan future events and make it better. Um, please feel free if you have any questions during the sessions um, uh, to put them in the comments and the moderators will be able to relay it to the speakers. Um, if you want to share uh, a verbal thought or a verbal question with us or with the speaker during the session. Um, please keep it to the end of the session and just if you click your raise hand up and you'll be given the chance to do that. Um, and hopefully the day will be very useful for everyone and good luck to all. Um, I'm now going just to pass the microphone to my colleague, um, Dr. Ayman to present um, Dr. Simon. Um, the mic is yours, Iman. Thank you, Hani. And thank you everyone for being with us this morning. Uh, I would be pleased if everyone can, can just keep the microphone mute while the speaker is presenting. And please drop the question in the chat box. We'll answer them at the end. So our first session, we are honored to have uh, Dr. Simon Broughton who is Consultant General Pediatrician at King's College Hospital. And he will talk about uh, prepare yourself for interview. Uh, Dr. Simon, you have 20 minutes. Uh, I'll be just remind you at five minutes before the end of the session. Uh, you are welcome, Dr. Simon. Many thanks um, everybody for inviting me along to give this presentation. Um, so I'll start off with apologies because I haven't got any slides, but everything I'm going to say is on the RCPCH website. So um, you'll be able to follow up with, with a kind of resource um, acquisition from there. Um, so I'm a general paediatrician and clinical director of the whole of child health at King. So 
you could imagine I've been quite busy recently with um, with COVID. We've got over 700 patients across our two, two sites, which is a bit of the reason why I've not had the time to prepare the slides. So sorry about that. Um, so, um, so application to ST1 Pediatrics this year is going to be fairly significantly different from what's happened before because of making it COVID secure. Completely following on from um, what the previous speaker said, you know, the uh, interview panels, the number of interview panels that we've had in the past have certainly helped to standardize the application process and make it um, fairer for all really, and to kind of help to remove any um, unconscious bias, which um, may creep into any interview process. So, so um, however, this year, it's gonna be significantly different. So. Um, what I'll do, if it's okay, I'll run through what's going on this year. I'll talk a bit about the interview itself, my tips for the three um, stations on the interview, and then I'll be happy to take questions. So um, you'll all be familiar if you're applying for ST1 that um, you need to get the MSRA assessment um, completed. And I think the deadline for that is um, is coming up. I think it's the 18th of, um, of January is the deadline, but please check the, um, the information you needed to sign on and get yourself registered for the MSRA. Um, and then um, there is an application form. Now, whereas previously the application form was really just for information and then helped us to look at the career motivation station, this year the um, application form is being marked. Um, and the reason for that is um, giving us a plan A and a plan B um, if, the, if COVID becomes so bad throughout the country that we're unable to carry out interviews, then we need to have some way of assessing candidates so that we can still fill the posts. And um, we had an absolute disaster um, in March of last year where we weren't able to interview the ST three and four applicants. And we purely went on their application form and we hadn't told them that that's how they were going to be assessed. We just had to roll with the punches that COVID was throwing at us during wave one. We're much more organized now in wave two. And so we've got the three methods of assessment, which are MSRA, the um, application form and the interview. So the MSRA will take up 20% of the assessment of the total score. The interview form 30%, sorry, the application form 30% and the interview 50%. If the interviews are unable to go ahead because the faculty are too busy, which is I think highly unlikely, given the number of trainees that we've got who have already volunteered to help out with interviews, then it will be 40% for the MSRA and 60% for the application form. So really, really, really important to get the application form as strong as possible. I think they've all been submitted already. Um, so the interview itself consists of three um, separate components. The first component will be a communication scenario with an actress. Now, clearly this is going to be challenging over, um, over the internet using a Teams or a Zoom-based approach. It'll probably be a slightly different platform to that, but it, or it may be one of those two platforms. Nevertheless, you're gonna need good um, internet, um, you know, broadband support um, from home. 
um, so that you um, can get access to the interview and um, no distractions. Um, so um, if we've all got children who are studying at home at the moment, we know what distractions are like for them when they're doing their online lessons. Um, so, but the communication station, um, so bearing in mind that we don't um, assume any knowledge of paediatrics beyond medical school for ST1 applications, but we assume that the, the candidate will be able to apply um, F2 level competencies to that knowledge. So, um, so we won't expect the candidates to be able to tell us the biochemical abnormalities in pyloric stenosis, for instance, but we would expect them to be able to say that um, putting oxygen on in an emergency, working collaboratively with the team, using an ABC approach, early escalation, um, would be something that we would expect. Um, so the communication scenarios, you'll speak with an actress or an actor about a particular scenario. The majority of the children in the scenarios, I've done all the questions, uh, between the ages of six and 16, um, I've put in some, um, some elements around sort of COVID anxiety, but I haven't particularly made COVID part of the, um, part of the scenarios, because I, I think that overcomplicates it. Um, and, um, but nevertheless, I think it's important that we do recognize the anxiety that's out there amongst our patients from, from COVID. Um, so the next um, part of the interview itself is the career motivation section where we um, speak to you about why you want to do pediatrics, um, who your role models are for wanting to do pediatrics, what you think are the, the attributes of a good quality pediatrician, and then how you see yourself going forward in the, in the future in terms of your career. But really the key thing is, um, is kind of really describing why you want to do pediatrics and then um, describing your role models and why they're your role models um, and, the, and then thinking um, about the attributes that you think will make them um, an excellent paediatrician and hopefully you can use your role models to describe that. Um, previously we would have had a portfolio for you to use during your interview. Um, that's not possible um, given the, the difficulty with technology and overcomplicating it. So we will be asking you to use, um, just to use the information that you have at home to describe, um, you know, your, uh, the, the work that you've done so far that makes it relevant for you to be a, um, a paediatrician of the future. Um, and then the third section of the interview is around um, your ability to reflect. So we'll ask you to describe a clinical situation that either went well or not well, um, and then to think about why that happened, what you learned from it and how you're gonna take that learning forward and how do you use your reflection in your daily practice. All of the other clinical components are more assessed in the MSRA in terms of clinical thinking. And then there are certain um, elements of the previous interview that are also um, assessed in the, in the um, application form. So we've tried to assess things in the interview which are not accessible in the MSRA or the application form. Um, we've got capacity to interview um, more um, candidates than we did last year. So we've got capacity to interview about 650 
um, applicants, maybe 690. Um, they're based across the country, um, but um, it's, it's irrelevant because it will all be it will all be online anyway. So, um, um, so that's going to be the interview process. Now, as I said, if it's if the interview itself doesn't go ahead, then we will use the MSRA and the application form to do the do the ranking. But that would be, in my mind, suboptimal because um, we want to give the candidates the maximum opportunity to really demonstrate their um, passion for pediatrics and why they want to do it in the future. So, um, so that's um, a kind of brief run through where we are. I think maybe now would be a good time for me just to um, listen to questions and take some questions. Thank you, Dr. Simon. We appreciate really your time and thank you for comprehensive talk. Um, for the time being, I can't see any question. Guys, if you have any question, please write them down in the chat box or you can put on your microphone and ask Dr. Simon directly. And definitely use the RCPCH website. It's got all of the information on it. It's got two recent articles. Um, that myself and Emma Coombe wrote, who's the lead trainee for um, recruitment, working with me as the officer for recruitment at the RCPCH. So the, que sure. uh, yeah. the question's only for ST1. I'm happy to take questions for ST34. If you want, I can give a brief update. It's pretty similar, actually, but we'll be assessing slightly different things at ST34. Um, so, yeah, so the process will be the, the same, but there's no MSRA for ST34. So the MSRA is um, really aimed at the F2 going into ST1 level. So the um, process for appointment ST34 will be the application form and the interview. And, um, and the application form, I think, is 40% and the interview is 60%. Um, and the, um, in that interview, um, we um, will again will be doing communication, clinical thinking, and um, a kind of governance leadership type question. So that will be a half an hour interview. The, one of the problems with the interview process this year is that your entire interview will be with the same two interviewers for ST1 and for ST34. So, um, so whereas in the past you were interviewed by four sets of different interviewers, which helped to give it more standardization, and this time it will be just the same interview panel interviewing you just for ease of technology. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, so it's slightly different for ST34, so application form and interview. Right, thank you. There's a question uh, about uh, the application, which part of the application is more important in scoring to focus on for ST3 applicants? So the number of points um, that are there for the application form uh, and how we mark it are all on the RCPCH website. So what we've tried to do is to take away the bits where previously there used to be double marking to make it fairer. So we've reduced the 
the weight that research and um, postgraduate degrees get and try to make that into just one marking scheme because previously someone could have got four marks for having had a PhD and another four marks for, for some publications. So we've tried to um, make it fairer and streamlined, but the, um, but the actual scoring system for ST34 and the application form is all on the RCPCH website. Okay, thank you. Um, the other question about clinical thinking station. Um, the question is how it is interactive. Is there any guidance given to the assessor? So, so, so the assessors will have um, the questions and prompts. So they will, they will make the same prompts to everybody. Um, obviously, it's difficult giving a, um, you know, um, speaking to two interviewers, but via teams is not the same as being in the same room as them in terms of getting that kind of feedback that you get from being in the same room as two other human beings. But we'll make it the best we can. But they, so they will do, they will have prompts. Um, and um, what I would say is um, listen to the question, really listen to it and make sure you answer it and answer as much of it as you possibly can um, in, the, in your first go, and then wait for prompts. It may well be, um, you know, we've had some um, clinical thinking stations in the past where, you know, so for instance, you know, bacterial meningitis in a, in a baby, uh, and, and actually the interview for that station, which is, you know, has got 10 minutes of time, but actually it only took six minutes for really good candidates to complete. So, so don't worry if you finish that station early, but, um, but I would say, um, you know, li really listen to the question, answer as much detail as you possibly can in the first go, listen to the prompts. Um, and because of, the, because of the technology, the interviewers will be very sympathetic and, um, you know, they will try to, um, Nudge you, um, nudge you back on track if you're getting off track. Lovely, thank you, thank you very much. Just to emphasize, you mentioned uh, for ST one in the communication scenario, it will be the age of the children. It will be only from six to sixteen. Does this yeah, mean I, they don't have like a neonatal scenario or whatever? So, so we've got no neonates and no safeguarding scenarios in um, ST one. Okay, okay. The conditions, the actual main conditions are um, um, things that you would expect to see even if you hadn't done a paediatric job. So asthma, diabetes, sepsis, pneumonia. Um, but the actual, the, the difficulty of that station is the communication. It's not really the medical knowledge of the, of the situation. Okay, fair enough, thank you. I'll just, we got five minutes now. I'll check if we have any more question. There is question, but really I couldn't get it well. Is the interview limited to these announced by RCBCH or could involve other part of e-portfolio? I'm not sure if I understand that question. Um, yeah, me too. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it well. Uh, who put this question? If you can just write it again, more clear. Way. But you don't have to be a member of the RCPCH to apply to paediatrics. Um, and um, 
Whereas before, when we could meet up in person, you could bring certain parts of your portfolio along with you. Um, now, because of technology, that's um, more difficult to do. So, um, but, but you, you, know, you, you, you don't need to just talk about pediatric topics in your interview. If you've not done a pediatric job, I remember um, speaking to one applicant many, a few, or a few years ago, and um, you know, and I asked um, about her previous experience, and she said that she had deliberately not done pediatrics during foundation because she knew that she was going to be a pediatrician and do pediatrics for the rest of her life, and she wanted to get as much experience in other fields as possible before she went into pediatrics. Mm. So, um, so, so, so I think that's that's not only very reasonable; it's it's very mature. So, um, so you don't need to just talk about pediatrics you can talk about your learning from in adult areas um, but at least then about um, looking at which parts of that um, that you can take and also use in pediatrics right I can't see any more question in the chat box. So I hope that was useful. Um, yeah, it's really useful. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you, know, you for comprehensive and thorough yeah. talk. Thank you very much. Anytime. And um, if you need me to come back again, just just um, just let me know. Okay, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you today. Thank you very much. Have a good day, everybody. Okay, have a good day. Bye. We have more three minutes until we be ready for our next session. Then we can present our next speaker. If Umberto is ready, we can we can go and why not? Yeah. Um, I'm happy to start if everyone is. Okay, so uh, in our second session, we are honored also to have uh, Dr. Umberto Biagio, uh, who is ST8 pediatric trainee with a special interest in neonatology. He is pediatric trainee uh, in Sheffield Children's Hospital, and he is uh, honorary teacher at the University of Sheffield. For the next 20 minutes, he will talk about clinical thinking. Uh, Dr. Umberto, you can start. I'll just give you a reminder when you have five minutes remaining. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, hi, everyone. I'm Umberto. I'm, uh, as you can see from the screen and the presentation, a pediatric trainee. And uh, I've done uh, some uh, clinical interviewing preparations, both for registrar, SHO, and uh, consultant interviews. So I hope that uh, the next 20 minutes will help you with your clinical reasoning scenarios on your interviews. 
Um, am I controlling the presentation? Yes. Okay, thank you. So I've got three aims uh, for the presentation today. And uh, the first one is to understand what is clinical reasoning and why is it actually on the interview process. It's important to know what they're expecting of you and uh, give us as good an answer as you can, um, depending on uh, the question that you're, ask, ask, uh, you're being asked. And that really depends on knowing what they are actually asking you. They might um, phrase a question with a yes, no answer, but actually what they want to know is what the process of your thinking is and seeing whether or not you're a safe clinician. And like any interview, the more structure you are, uh, the, the more uh, confident you are in your answer, the better they're going to uh, see you as a clinician. Next, please. So there are a couple of definitions I want to uh, run past. Uh, the first one is clinical thinking, um, and that is basically a decision-making process uh, that describes your clinical choices, whether to start antibiotics or not, whether to admit the child or not. But it really focuses just on the choices, and that's probably not going to give you the top marks on your interview session. Next, please. So what I want you to try and, uh, and do on your um, interview is clinical reasoning. And that is because it, it is focusing on the process itself, on the problem-solving pathway that leads you to that decision-making process. It's looking at the whole clinical situation instead of just looking at how would you treat, let's say, asthma or meningitis. Any clinician um, up until this stage should be able to manage the medication. But what they want you to demonstrate is that you are thinking as well as um, as a disease into what the child's surroundings might be, what the parent's situation might be, and try and organize all that with your team, <coughs> sorry, with your team to make a good clinical management. Next, please. So Within the clinical interviews, what they're asking is, with a simple question, uh, trying to gauge your capacity for clinical knowledge, your judgment, your awareness of what might keep this child safe or unsafe, how you are uh, going to be a potential team leader, or how do you work with your team, and evidence that throughout that whole process, you're using the good clinical practice skills as per GMC and RCPCH standards. Next, please. So my approach to things is going through examples. So what we're going to uh, go through is um, a case of a wheezy child that presents to A&E. Next, please. So let's read through, uh, through this together. And the question that your assessor might uh, give you is, how are you going to manage this case? But let's talk through uh, the actual uh, presentation. This is a six-year-old boy that comes to the uh, acute pediatric unit, uh, referred by his GP. He has been coughing at night for the last four months, and it's mainly in winter, and he's currently very short of breath. You assess the child and find uh, 
uh, mild uh, wheeze, uh, shortness of breath. He looks tired and his saturations are quite low. Then you overhear that the nurse is telling you that the mother also smokes, uh, sorry, smells of smoke and that's tobacco smoke and that she comes in frequently uh, to um, the hospital with another child who's this patient's sibling, uh, who in turn suffers with severe asthma, has previous intensive care medication uh, admission, and is not complying with her medication. So how would you manage this case? I'll give you a few seconds so that you can start thinking about uh, how would you address this? And I'm giving you a clue on the image next uh, to this scenario. Just apply your clinical knowledge, the information from the case to present a management plan. Okay, let's get to the next one, please. So in order to know how to answer, uh, we need to go through what an ineffective answer might look like. And I say ineffective because it's not wrong. You're answering the question. But remember what I was telling you about the panel members would want you to demonstrate how good you are, not how good a diagnostician you are, but how good a doctor and a physician you are. So this answer is uh, very simple. Uh, this child clearly has asthma. I would give short-acting beta agonist on a regular basis um, and support his breathing with oxygen, give steroids, and once stable, we would arrange a follow-up in an asthma clinic as they probably already know the family. Now, that is very simple. Uh, you are not going to be able to speak about the case for 20 minutes with the panel after that uh, answer. And there are some other uh, caveats that we need to address. Uh, next one, please. So let's go through why this is an ineffective answer. So first of all, you have identified that this child uh, might have asthma, but have you talked to us through the process itself? Why do you think this child has asthma? And at any point, have you measured whether this is mild asthma, an exacerbation, a non-exacerbation, or if, is this a life-threatening episode? You haven't demonstrated your clinical reasoning behind all these. Next, please. Then you have mentioned that you know how to manage asthma but you haven't specified how regularly would you want to assess the, uh, to do this? How are you going to reassess a patient and how often? You haven't considered or at least mentioned that you would consider other options. So for example, would this child need IV management? Have you thought about things like hypotropium bromide? Uh, and what steroids are you going to give? We can give uh, prednisolone uh, and that's a uh, the usual things, but you can also give dexamethasone and uh, that would shorten the stay in the hospital. Sorry, wait a second. Um, I'm in the meeting. Could you go with money, please? Yes? Sorry about that. 
And then we need to know if you can work effectively with your team at all the stages through your uh, through this answer you have mentioned i i would arrange i would give uh, i i would speak it, you haven't said about any interaction with anyone else in your team and also a very very simple question at the registrar level would this child be admitted to the hospital or not so your management is good you would treat asthma but you're not treating the child next please and as we mentioned before you have identified it that the child needs a follow-up but ha have you actually made sure uh, sure that things are safe for the child in the meantime you never mentioned anything about uh, preventer medication or education so that this child is uh, being treated at home adequately how about um, going straight to an asthma uh, clinic is that the best way forward or would you think that the general pediatrician might be able to provide better uh, care um, and uh, try to minimize uh, the input on uh, tertiary centers and lastly how confident are you that the, ma that the management at home is going to happen this child's family is known to be non-compliant uh, with medication and engagement with medical services so it might be a, a good idea for you to have dwelled a little bit more on how you would have dealt with this. Next, please. So what are they actually asking you with this? They're asking you, do you know about asthma and how, um, how to stratify that into mild, moderate, severe, life-threatening? And do you know the treatment for each one of them? Next, please. They also need to know if you can get information from the case and apply that to your clinical knowledge. Make sure that you get the medical relevance, but also the surrounding uh, information that is also relevant to treat the patient. Next, please. And also with your management, are you going to be a micromanager or a macromanager? Are you going to be that person that needs to do the cannula, needs to prepare the medication, needs to give the medication? Or are you going to be more efficient and ask your uh, team members to support you and, uh, and uh, increase the level of uh, quality of care for this child? Also, we need to make sure that you're engaging with the most important team member that you've got, and that's the family. They need to know what you're going to do, how you're going to do that and why. Especially on someone uh, like this family that they, they are known to have some risk factors. If a mom smells like uh, tobacco, that means that that, is, that child is at risk of readmitting uh, because of all the, the triggers. And they are also known to have um, life-threatening asthma on the family. They're also known to be non-compliant we need to address and find out why those things are happening. Next, please. So this is a very long answer, but it's an effective one. It, the red bits are the parts that uh, we have uh, seen on the previous ineffective answer. And you can see that there's a lot of blue around there that just adds to um, the answer. 
So we'll read that through together. This child is presenting with symptoms of asthma. Looking at the length of his symptoms, his shortness of breath, tiredness and saturations, he has severe life-threatening attack. I would declare the emergency, asking for a crash team, and would work my way through an ABCD clinical assessment. First, I would give oxygen via face mask to keep safe saturations of oxygen. I would then ask nurses to set up and give him combined short-acting beta agonists and epitropian nebulizers, one dose every 20 minutes for an hour, and oral steroids. I would likely do an early IV access or ask my junior to do one as there is a potential that this child might need escalation of care. I'd like to see a blood gas to check the pH, CO2 levels, and lactate. I would review the child regularly, update the crash team when they arrive in an S-bar fashion, and discuss further management options. This child is going to be admitted to the hospital, and we need a decision whether he could be in the ward or in a high-dependency care. Next, please. And we carry on because we haven't addressed everything that they're asking uh, on this question. So once uh, the child is stable, I would speak with the mother explaining the severity of the situation, what we have done and what is likely to happen. I would take a detailed history to get better understanding of the whole situation and take the opportunity to do smoke cessation advice. I would clearly highlight that preventive medications and compliance are important, asking them if there's anything that we could do to help them in, ensure this doesn't happen, this happens in the future. I would update my consultant about the case and discuss follow-up plans. We will need uh, input from asthma nurses, but likely he could be managed in the general pediatric clinic if he recovers quickly. Now, can everyone see the major differences between an ineffective answer that deals with a disease in its own and this answer that deals with the whole situation and how would you explain why you took those decisions. Next, please. So why is this effective? Why this answer is going above and beyond the straightforward yes, no question. It is effective because you have given a structured, logical, evidence-based clinical management but you have also demonstrated that you're able to work alongside the team and show leadership skills. You have demonstrated that you can see the whole picture. You can treat the child, not the illness, and that you're not afraid to discuss difficult subjects, for example, smoke cessation advice or medication compliance. Now, you will see throughout the whole, uh, the whole course of today that there are different stations, let's say for clinical skills, leadership skills, but that doesn't mean that throughout the other processes, you won't tick boxes or increase your, um, your marking by demonstrating or mentioning those other skills. So don't forget to mention those. Next, please. So there are some caveats of giving a perfect answer. If you took so, um, a, a little bit of notes, reading that whole answer at a, a paced voice, that was roughly about two, three minutes of an answer, which is roughly what you should be aiming for. However, that means that for the next uh, 18 minutes that the um, panel members will have you 
in that station, they will be asking you probably very tricky questions because you've really been thorough and uh, given them a, a very good detailed answer. They would expect you to be an expert. Uh, well, uh, at least know uh, the BTS guidelines. So they will be uh, asking you slightly more technical questions sometimes. And probably that's something that you want to avoid. So, Dr. Ambert, you have five minutes remaining. Yeah. So next, please. So you would be able to answer questions like, how do you know this is severe life-threatening asthma? Why would you need a crash call? Why would you need an escalation of care? Next, please. And other things that might be a little bit more technical, but you can structure your answer in a way that uh, you can feed them information in, in a very simplified way at the same time of uh, giving them hints that you already know the answers for whatever question they might be asking. So for example, by saying I would emphasize advice regarding smoke cessation, the obvious question that they're going to ask you is, what kind of advice would you give this mum? And with just hinting at that uh, uh, question, you are likely to in, in, in be able to respond quite quickly and in a very structured way saying, asthma is a trigger for, uh, sorry, uh, smoking is a trigger for asthma. We want that to stop. I would speak with the GP uh, and ask her uh, to follow a um, smoke cessation plan. I would give her a written plan for um, that to happen. Next, please. Another way to structure your answers is uh, by using mnemonics. So I'm giving you two examples that might apply to uh, clinical settings or decision-making processes, uh, but STAR applies more for uh, an episode of something that has happened. So for example, describe the situation, task, action, response, or reflection. And spies might apply a little bit more to a difficult situation. They might be asking you about uh, a second question, let's say, if this child come in uh, again, uh, but this time mom is clearly intoxicated, how would you support that? Uh, that child and spice might apply might a little bit more to that situation. Next, please. So I've finished my presentation. I know that we're a little bit short of time next, but I'm happy to answer any questions if they've uh, been on the chat. Thank you very much for this incredible and impressive talking about clinical thinking, how to approach the station of clinical thinking. It's really helpful for all of us. Thank you very much. No problem. Um, just checking if there's any question coming to the chat box. It's all about nice talk compared to, thank you very much. I have a question. If that's okay, Dr. Gawai, go ahead. Um, it's just a short question here about when you answer the clinical thinking scenario questions, um, is it okay just to give the whole answer continuously as you just mentioned now, or give it a break, you know, give two, three sentences, stop, 
look at their faces and see what their reactions are and then continue or or just keep on running you know because if you run the same tone i just feel it's going to feel more mechanical rather than uh, i don't know it really depends on your your own experience and your own level of confidence um there are different uh, kinds of candidates and usually what you would have is a very nervous candidate and uh, constantly trying to see the faces of the panel members might give you uh, even more nerves or it could uh, calm you down it depends on your, your own personality when you're talking about giving a full um, lengthy answer what you want to try to do is calm yourself down throughout the process and uh, give them a, a, a very um, good answer that you can probably follow up uh, with the questions. However, I completely agree that some candidates out there um, might feel more confident just tailoring things according to the responses of the panel members and stopping after a couple of sentences to do that also gives you time to think and reassess what you've actually told uh, the panel. Just remember that they might not be uh, engaging with full eye contact all the time. They might be making notes or ticking boxes. So don't take it personally if um, you raise your, your eyes to the panel and no one's looking back at you. Thank you. Um, hello, everyone. I have a question, if you allow me. Yes. OK, uh, I was thinking in the same way when you uh, told us the scenario. And after that, you told us, OK, think about it. I just uh, thought about, uh, OK, this is acute management, chronic management, and then later on, um, the social address, the social issue, and, uh, and everything. Can I present it in the same way? Um, present in the same way as in use the structure of I, I would do this acutely then on the chronic management I would do this and from the social management do the other bits have I understood the question yes uh, I mean in acute management I will do all the emergency you said then after admission to a child I will address the chronic issue of asthma I will also address the uh, GB visit uh, you have asthma clinic I didn't thought about asthma clinic action but I thought about the GB visit, health visitors, smoking, support to the family, something like that in the same uh, lines. Yeah, so the, the thing is you have to have a structure. It might be a timeline approach, uh, which is what I uh, used here. It might be a, a subheading uh, approach like you've uh, been alluded to, just seeing the acute management, the chronic one, and uh, the later on. Uh, or it might just be dealing with uh, asthma as a general uh, thing, I would uh, probably in the acute phase stabilize a child and I'll talk about that later. Um, however, usually what I would uh, find it more useful is for people to uh, be compliant with their medication and then start with the general, uh, you know, management of asthma at home, follow up clinics, then go on to the chronic management and then finally say if this child presents like this in this case then what i would do is treat with uh, the bts guidelines management okay it's there's no one good answer 
And it really depends on whether you can demonstrate the skills that they're asking you to uh, display. Okay, thank you very much. I'm afraid I would stop you here just for the sake of the time. <laughs> but no it was really nice to hear from you. Thank you very much. We'll move now to the next uh, speaker. I'll pass the microphone to my colleague Puran to present her next speaker. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Bye. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Umberto, and thank you, um, Iman. Good morning, all. Um, really well done for the organizers, and a huge thank you to all the speakers today, uh, and good luck to the candidates. Uh, it's an honor to me to present or to introduce the next um, speaker, Dr. Rachel Mitchell. Uh, Dr. Rachel is a pediatric emergency medicine consultant at King's College Hospital in London. Uh, Dr. Rachel will give a 25 minutes talk about uh, leadership skills and communication. Uh, I wouldn't interrupt that, only five minutes towards the end of this speech. I will set a reminder and uh, by the end of the speaking, um, we can have a two to three minutes chat and uh, I will read your questions. So please, if you have any question, post them down in the chat box. Uh, we are ready for you, Dr. Rachel. Thank you. Great. Hello. Can everyone hear me? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, okay. So um, thank you for um, inviting me here today. Um, I, um, as um, as you've just heard, I'm a pediatric emergency medicine consultant at King's um, and I help out um, doing various interviews. Um, so hopefully can give you some top tips. As far as I know, I just want to clarify this, most of you are applying either for ST3 or ST4. Um, and you will be hopefully um, COVID allowing having some virtual interviews in the in the coming weeks. Um, great. So um, I've been asked to talk to you today about your communication scenario. Um, I don't know if you can put the slides up um, so people can see them because at the moment it, I can just see every all the slides. But I can talk if you want to do it like this. That's fine. Um, so. The, so my second slide, um, which you can probably see here, um, is, a, is talking about um, the communication scenario. Um, so I think the first thing to say really about communication is that there is nothing really different to communication to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis at work. Um, and all that is be, will be asked of you is in relation to your everyday jobs. So it's not you having to learn anything new, it's not you having to think differently to how you would normally think. Um, obviously you're being assessed and so it will feel different, but if I can get you to think of one thing today to take away from it, it would be that you just need to be thinking um, in the same way that you think at work. Um, is it possible to put this on the slideshow view, please? Maybe, maybe not. No, okay. Um, I will just do it like this. Oh, maybe. No. That's the wrong talk. Sorry. So, so while um. While you're getting the right slides up, um, maybe I will just um, chat a little bit about about the scenario. So, 
as I said, thinking in your how you think um, in your everyday work, um, talking to to children, to young adults, um, and to their parents. Um, so, if you could put up the second slide, please. Next slide. Brilliant. Maybe. Um. Almost there. So while so while the um, while the slides are getting put up, um, if I'm sure, hopefully all of you have had a look on the Royal College website, um, there's a really useful document there which which breaks down exactly how the interview is um, is is going to be carried out. And so you've got four, four stations, as I'm sure you know, um, and one of them is the communications st um, station. Perfect, thank you. Yes, yeah, if you stop on that slide, that's great. Um, so on the communication scenario, it's worth 40 marks out of a possible of 120. So if you think, if you just think about that for a second, that, that is telling you that it's worth a third, um, a third of your, um, of your total marks for the whole scenario. So actually this is, this is a really important scenario, but one that you can do really well in by just thinking about some basics. What, the, what they want you to do is to, they're going to assess your ability to interact with, with can you go back a slide please? Thank you. With patients, parents and carers. Um, you'll be given the scenario um, to read four minutes before starting your virtual interview. And then you'll be asked to explain either a clinical condition or reasons for a particular intervention. Um, and I guess that's worth thinking about um, because um, there are different things that you may be asked. Um, the guidance other than that is, is, is a little vague. So you're, there's nothing else that comes up uh, that, they, that they tell you. Um, but actually I think thinking about the, just that, that little bit of information there can give you, um, can hopefully give you some really good top tips. So next slide, please. Um, so in that you've been told you've got four minutes to prepare. Um, and that is actually really, really important time. So um, I would really encourage you to use that time wisely. It may be at the start of your state of your of your circuit, it may be during it. Um, and so if it is during it and the station before it hasn't gone well, do take 30 seconds to clear your head and, and, and then move forward. But I would really encourage you not to spend all your time thinking about the previous scenario because you've got four minutes to think about this scenario and actually you can do a lot of preparation in it. So what are you going to prepare in that time? Because you're gonna be given a little clinical snippet um, and you're going to need to think about what, what, what you're going to cover. Um, you will be able to make some notes and in a in a real scenario you could obviously take those notes in with you because this is virtual you'll be able to have the notes um, um, alongside you you won't be able to look anything up um, but you should because we are emulating um, what would be a, a real in-person um, um, types uh, interview um, but actually it's not about as, as I'll talk about in a minute it's not about looking up and things being factually very um, very detailed it's more about remember this is about communication okay so what I would really get you to think about here is um, 
what you want to communicate in that time, how you're going to communicate, and a, a few of the communication top tips, okay? So don't just sit there and think about nerves, however easy, it, however hard or easy it is for me to say that. Um, really do try and use this time because actually you've been given it, you haven't got it for, uh, for the other scenarios, um, so it's important you use it appropriately. Um, next slide, please. So I thought for a minute we might think about a few possible scenarios. So as I said, it could be that you're asked to explain a new condition. It could be that you're asked about reasons for intervention. And so again, none of these are really, really, um, are, are going to be difficult scenarios clinically. They should all be things that you've done before that you, that you do at work all the time. Um, so the kind of ones I've thought about for explaining a new condition would be a child with a new diagnosis of diabetes, um, explaining a febrile seizure, um, possibly a new diagnosis of, of a leukemia, although that probably is a bit trickier, um, and explaining a nephrotic syndrome. So these are just a few that I've thought about. Um, I know have come up before. Um, there definitely are um, others that could come up, um, but they would be the ones that um, I, if you were thinking about things that I would maybe think about. Um, and so you could start off by having a little think about how you might approach, approach those. Um, if you're thinking about reasons for interventions, um, then I guess some of the common things that we do would be thinking about um, consenting a, a family for a general anaesthetic for a scan. Um, cannulating a child to give out antibiotics, particularly if um, it probably won't be the first time they've had needed a cannula, so perhaps a family that don't want a cannula in a child. Um, doing a lumbar puncturing in, in a neonate, now that's a very common scenario that we see, isn't it? Um, doing an intraosseous insertion in an emergency. Um, the slides have just gone, sorry. Um, and then the other thing that the other couple of things that they, they've said could possibly happen would be the, that you might be asked to talk about why a child may be transferred. So to a neighboring um, intensive care unit or to a tertiary center for further investigations. So this is not, by no means an exhaustive list, but what it hopefully does is just give you a few ideas of, of things you can think about um, to, in, your, in your preparations. Um, next slide, please. So important to think about who you're talking to. So it clearly states that you may need to talk to a parent, you may need to talk to a child or an adolescent. And actually how you're going to, how, where you're going to pitch this really depends on, um, on what your audience is. So clearly your explanation of diabetes to an eight-year-old is gonna be very different to your explanation of diabetes to a mum or a dad. Um, I think it would probably be quite mean to give you an eight-year-old. I think a, a kind of young adult, so 14, 15-year-old would be reasonable. But even then, your the way that you talk to that child is going to be different to how you talk to a parent. So just make sure when you're reading the scenario that you've thought about that. Um, next slide, please. And what will you be assessed upon? So. I think one of the one of the things that people tend to fall, fall down upon is that they get really caught up in thinking about the clinical context of things um, and thinking about purely delivering clinical information. Um, and yes, that is an important part. If you see here, it's, it's one of my five points here. Um, but 
actually what you need to be thinking about is that this is a communication scenario. And so yes, what you, the information you deliver needs to be factually correct, but actually what the assessor is gonna be looking for is your communication with the patient or the family, as opposed to purely the clinical content. So in any clinical scenario, when you talk to a family, you will go in and introduce yourself and that should be no different in this scenario. So a, a nice introduction, putting the family um, or the child at ease is really important. And then as you do that, you need to you need to give them some signposting about what this what your talk is going to be about. So don't just say I'm Dr. X um, I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm Dr. X. You've got diabetes, um, as I'm sure you wouldn't do that in real life. You would probably find out what they know about a scenario um, about what's happened so far and really kind of work out where you're pitching this, what their previous level of knowledge is. If you're talking about a new diagnosis of diabetes and they've not actually been told they've got this yet, then actually that's that's in the realms of breaking bad news. And so do you need to be seeing if there's anybody else they'd like to be present? Um, if you've got a bleep on you, you might make sure the examiners know that perhaps this is a sensitive conversation. So you might hand your bleep to somebody else to look after. So in the same way that you would be thinking in real life about how best to, to deliver some difficult clinical information, then this is re all really important stuff that you need to be thinking about here. As I said, clinical content, very important, yes. Um, so don't deliver incorrect information, but actually you should be guided on, your, on the content by, in part by what the, um, by how the patient or the family is responding to you. And a lot of that um, it comes from the nonverbal cues, which I'll talk about shortly. Um, but they, and they are, they are the things really that make or break a communication scenario. I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. And finally, when you've finished, it's really important that you summarize the information that you've, you've given them. Um, you ask them if they've got any questions and you also then kind of give them some signposting either to some more information they could go to or say you'll come back later and talk to them but don't just leave them hanging don't just say thank you very much and go okay and I think it's really important that you that as you would in the real world think about how you close the scenario um, in a way that makes them feel that they've got somewhere to come back to. Um, one thing just on the introduction that we talked about, uh, just going back a second, when you introduce yourself, I think gone are the days um, in certainly um, where we're all introducing ourselves as, as Dr. So-and-so. Actually, I think especially if you're talking to a child, being able to um, introduce yourself with your first name is, is really nice. And I'm sure many of you do that um, in your clinical practice already. Um, but certainly that would be something that I would be... Um, I'd be really pleased to hear if I was an examiner. Um, next slide, please. Oh, so that, that's not come out very well. Sorry about that. Um, but nonverbal cues um, is what I was going to talk about, not nonverbal cues. Um, okay, so when you are delivering any kind of clinical information in person, then yes, the, the words that you use are important, but even more important than that often are the things that you do without even meaning to. Um, and if you speak to parents and relatives after you've given information or after you've delivered um, bad news, often they won't remember the words, they'll remember your, your manner and how you were to them. Um, and that is incredibly important in the communication scenario. 
Um, one thing to say is that when you're marked for this, the, the actor um, will be asked for their views um, and also give you a score um, as, part, as part of your score. Um, and so, yes, it's important that you impress the examiner with your clinical knowledge, as I've said, but how you, um, how you communicate with, with, a, um, with an actor, um, particularly in terms of these things, is really important. So what kind of things do I mean? Well, it's about using silence. Um, so you deliver some information and you let, let it sink in. You see if they've got any questions. Um, and I guess from that perspective, you're doing some active listening. So when they ask questions or when you say, um, or, or when you ask them what they understand already about a topic, you do actually answer their questions. You do actually listen to what they're saying. So you're not just, you're not you're not dead set on what you're meant to be delivering um you're flexible um and you alter your clinical you, you alter your um your what you're talking about depending on what the audience wants you treat them with, with respect um and that sounds like an obvious thing to say um but actually um that is incredibly important so sometimes the scenario, so for instance, if you had a scenario about giving antibiotics um, to a, to a um, giving further doses of IV antibiotics to a parent who really didn't want another cannula, then actually being, um, being authoritative about it and saying, no, we're doing this because it's what your child needs is not treating a family with respect. Um, you, you need to be listening to what they're saying and trying to understand um, and that will be, that will come across um, in your scenario. Generally, the actors are given instructions that say, if the candidate convinces you well enough, then you will agree. So it's, so it's very unlikely that by the end of a scenario, you should still have a parent saying no, so long as you've spoke well to them and done these things. Open body language. So by that, I mean, um, making sure you're not sitting with your arms crossed, that you're perhaps doing open gestures with your hands. Granted, it's much more difficult virtually, um, but I'm sure many of you do these anyway in your, in your normal working practice. Empathy. So actually, are you, um, are you really thinking what it's like to be that parent? So if this is the fifth dose of fifth day that they've been in hospital with IV antibiotics, are they actually really shattered because they're really tired and they've not had any sleep? And because of COVID, nobody else can visit. Um, and actually they just, they just want to go home and they don't really understand about the risk of their child. Actually just taking a minute and saying, this must be really hard, I'm really sorry. Um, is there anything else I can do? Can I go and get you a cup of tea when this is over? Um, sounds really simple. And probably in real life, that's maybe what you do, but this should be no different. Um, and then picking up cues. So it kind of like I've already um, covered, but is it is is there something that they're, that they're particularly scared about? So. For instance, um, in the scenario of um, a, uh, some, a child having to be transferred elsewhere, are they worried that they'll catch COVID in another hospital? Um, the scenario where they've got a, a new diagnosis of diabetes, had they, did they have a grandparent perhaps who had a type two diabetes who then died? So are they, you know, are they thinking about other things? Is there something particularly that's on their mind that they haven't really, um, that they haven't articulated to you. So I think these are really, really important things that you need to think about um, when you're delivering your scenario. Um, next slide, please.
And obviously, um, you won't have, um, it won't have eluded you that this is virtual. So a lot of this is going to be different. And it's just worth thinking about how you're going to get across some of this, um, some of these nonverbal things virtually. Um, I'm not saying it's easy at all. Um, silly things like looking at the camera as opposed to yourself on the screen. Um, and if you, if you are going to use hand gestures, trying to do that. You might normally draw diagrams perhaps when you're explaining something, that'll be more difficult. Um, so you might just want to practice beforehand perhaps with a friend um, about how that kind of thing might work. Um, next slide, please. And I guess just going back to the beginning, why, why are we doing this? Um, what are the assessors wanting to see? They want you to be safe, they want to make sure you can communicate with patients and relatives and that you can empathize. And more importantly, they're asking the question, are you a safe pair of hands in the middle of the night? So if you're the registrar on shift, are, you at, are they going to be happy to leave you to get on with things in the middle of the night or are they gonna to have to be phoning you every hour? Um, and if I'm totally honest as a consultant, that's the thing I would want to make sure that I was going to be happy that you were going to be in charge at night. Uh, and of course, um, of course, I'd be on the end of the phone to do ne never worry that your consultant doesn't want to be called. But it's just about them being confident in you and your abilities. And communication is the first thing that we see about people. So it's incredibly important in that sense. Um, next slide, please. So I thought we'd pause there for, some, for see if anyone has any questions. I've got a couple of scenarios that I thought we could just talk through if there's time, but if not, I can just show you the scenarios and you can perhaps have a go um, as practice with other people afterwards. So I don't know if anyone's got any questions at the moment. Well, still we have five minutes, Dr. Rachel, uh, for your talk. And okay, we will now two to three minutes by the end of your talk for questions and discussions. So I think okay. you can go ahead with the scenarios. Okay, so I just wondered if anyone on the chat's got any questions at the moment, um, please put nothing them through, is, otherwise we can go through, go to the next scenario. Yeah, nothing at the minute in the, in, in okay. the chat. So next question, next slide, please. So this is the first scenario. So your SHO comes to you about admitting a five week old baby um, who has a fever at two in the morning. As part of the workup, the SHO wants to do a lumbar puncture but reports the parents have refused. You need to talk to the parents. So that is the kind of scenario you're going to get. You're then going to have four minutes to think about how you might approach this. Um, and I guess it's, I know it's tricky on the chat, but I, I guess I wonder what kind of things you might be jotting down in your, um, in your four minutes. I wonder if I just give you 30 seconds. I wonder if everybody could write a couple of things in the chat that they might want to, that they would, that they'd be writing down and I can have a little look. So why it's important to do LP, yep. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So I think what's really nice that's coming out here is why they're refusing. Exactly. So I don't know because I don't know about you, but I often I've often found that I've been told this scenario. And when I go to it, it's actually that the parents don't really understand why they need an LP and why it's important. Um, and I think 
that that's the most important thing here. What is it about the LP that the parents don't that the parents are, are, are worried about? Um, so I quite like the uh, what Salma has said here. So I would agree, introduce myself, ask um, what they um, what they know so far about the baby, why the LP is important, and why they refuse. Good. And so obviously, as part of a consent process, you're going to talk about the LP and the risks. But actually, moreover, at, the, at this point, you need to you need to try and get the parents on board. Um, and there are certain things you need to tell the parents. So what the lumbar puncture involves and what the risks are. Um, but actually, as as a lot of as everybody has said um, in the chat here, it's important to try and understand the parents' point of view, find out what they already understand, um, and try and try and convince them. Somebody's put here about putting the names of the babies and parents, and I think that's a really nice idea. So um, some parents will want to be called by their first name. Some people will like to be called mum or dad. Some people would like to be called Mr. or Mrs. And so it's really, it's quite personal. So I would, I think that's a really nice thing to ask. And similarly, we're very bad, aren't we, as pediatricians at calling everybody baby. Um, so actually, if you've got a five week old baby, you're so proud of that baby. You want you, people to be calling that baby their name. So actually finding out baby's name is, is a really nice touch as well. Um, so I'm really pleased here that you've got the essence of this, that yes, this is about your you delivering information about giving doing a lumbar puncture. But more than that, it's about trying to work out why these parents are refusing and how you can convince them. Um, OK, and second scenario. So your SHO has seen a two year old presenting with a puffy face um, and swollen hands who has three plus of protein in the urine, an album of 23 on bloods. The, the baby's otherwise well with normal blood pressure um, and bloods are otherwise normal. You're asked to speak to the parents about the diagnosis and the next steps. So hopefully um, with that um, clinical triad of um, edema, proteinuria and a low albumin, um, you can see that we've got a case of nephrotic syndrome. Um, hopefully from this, you've seen that the blood pressure is normal, the other bloods are normal. Um, and so at the moment, this is an un this seems to be an uncomplicated nephrotic syndrome. Um, so again, I wondered if you could just jot down a couple of thoughts about what you might be talking to the parents about. We're, you're asked here to talk to them about the diagnosis and the next steps. So you need to make sure you cover both of those, but clearly this is going to be a big deal for these parents. So just 30 seconds um, to write down a couple of things here that you might cover. Uh, Dr. Rachel, I have to say that you have only one minute left. For oh, this I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's all okay. right. It's maybe I'll wait. Maybe I'll wait. Have... Yeah, go. Let's not, I won't get you to write the stuff down then. Um, I guess what I'm, what I just wanted to, um, to make sure you understood here was that you need to talk to them a little bit about nephrotic syndrome in very basic terms, but actually, um, they are going to be worried that something terrible is wrong with the kidneys. Um, and so trying to trying to um, reassure them and talk about how they're going to be followed up is really important. Um, lots of time for questions, lots of silence. Um, and it would be lovely to be able to draw a diagram here, wouldn't it? But virtually that may not work. So you might need to think about how you explain it better. Um, so that's my, I think I've got one more slide which just asks you for any questions. Um, I'm more than happy for people to contact me if they've got any questions separately. Um, I hope that was useful. Um, I think the, the real thing I want to just get over to you though is that this is a, this communication scenario is about you 
putting patients at ease um, and talking as you would normally talk in your everyday practice. Um, and so hopefully it's a way of you getting lots of lovely marks um, in the interview. Thank you. Um, so uh, thank you, Dr. Rachel. We have a question down in the chat. Um, well, it's, it was actually a comment from Azza about what uh, ask what the parents know about the condition explaining frotic syndrome in a simple way, avoiding jargon words. And still we have like two minutes if anybody have any question or if Dr. Rachel have anything uh, to add. I guess just one thing I would say about jargon, I think that was a really, really good point. So we're very bad, aren't we, as doctors at using acronyms and using jargon, um, especially if we're talking to young adults or children, we mustn't do that at all. Um, and so, make, yes, making sure that everything you, you talk about um, is said in a really simple way is really important. Any more questions? I personally found that the session very useful and with great tips in communication scenario. Thank you very much, Dr. Rachel, for your time. Thank you for your contribution. No worries. Uh, Good luck, everybody. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, we are ready for the next session. Okay. Uh, okay. Hi. Good morning and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I think this is a topic uh, uh, most of overseas want to hear about is uh, cl clinical governance. And it's our pleasure to have uh, Dr. Sarah Ibrahim Abdelgeli. She's a pediatric consultant and she's an associate professor uh, here in NHS. And without further ado, uh, thanks Dr. Sarah for sacrificing your uh, weekend and welcome. Assalamu uh, alaikum and good morning. Um, I'm on call, so it is, um, I'll try to finish on time. And um, uh, thank you very much uh, for the uh, team and uh, welcome. I understand that this is targeting those who are applying SC3, SC4 and above, uh, if I'm right. On this session, we'll try to cover um, clinical governance, uh, but obviously that will include um, talking about quality improvement and um, patient safety and as well um, uh, highlighting uh, some points about leadership. Uh, next slide, please. Um, I would like um, to reassure you all that um, when we talk about pediatric quality improvement and patient safety, this is something that you have been practicing and clinical governance from your previous experience. So don't feel nervous that you are, for example, you have not been in the UK or not practicing for a long time. And that's from um, practical course that um, now is um, we've established in the UK and in, uh, in uh, Sudan from the UK. And actually during that course, all of the ideas uh, were spot on as we all uh, aim to provide an excellent care. Um, it's um, um, an honor that this course has now been included or will be included in the training for uh, pediatric registrars in Sudan. The next slide, please. Um, Next slide, please. Yeah. So I would like you first to um, feel confident and congratulate you that you came a long, um, you know, uh, distance um, and you have achieved um, a lot so far and um, make use of all the experience that you have developed as a medical student or as a trainee in Sudan, UK or anywhere else 
and or whether you have any other um, degree or experience, even if it's uh, voluntary or extracurricular that is related to pediatrics. And that's mainly when you are coming to talk about your why you chose to become a pediatrician. And clinical governance, quality and safety and leadership um, actually should uh, or can be utilized in all stations, but in particular the station when you're talking about why you chose this career, as well as the clinical governance station. Next slide, please. So you have been shortlisted um, to come for this interview. Um, so you are eligible. So that as well as a bonus, you have to know how to self-market yourself, but don't overdo it. What um, the assessors are looking for is a competent pediatrician. So you're not anymore uh, applying for a generic post. It is specific for pediatrics and that you promote safety and high quality care. Uh, most of you, maybe, maybe not everybody, is a member of the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health by now. And um, if you look at the main essence of the um, Royal College of Pediatrics, it's about quality, about medicine for children, and about child saving, uh, safeguarding and protection. So these are important areas that you will be expected to um, know very well and um, even to highlight them or refer to them. And medicines for children is, um, um, is an important part when we talk about clinical governance, about safety and quality of care, because uh, obviously uh, there's a lot of medicines that are not licensed for children. Uh, we use weight, we use height, uh, surface area. There are a lot of drug errors that can take place, uh, especially if you're talking about neonates or uh, pediatric intensive care or retrieval team. Uh, and and um, as well about the awareness of parents and children about medication and safety, um, apart from um, um, the, uh, the deliberate self-harm of using medicine um, in mental health. So medicine for children is an area that um, I would advise uh, you look into, and you have a few examples that will help you in your scenarios. Next slide, please. So what should you focus on and what other um, assessors will be focusing on? As I said, and as the other speakers have mentioned, is to, to feel that you are familiar with the system. Uh, but as I said, you don't have to panic if you have not worked in the UK, but you have worked in other uh, um, countries because at the end, um, the systems, uh, you will find that there will be similarities. But even if you're not very familiar with the system, you can uh, highlight that at the end, but the process and the main concepts should be the same on approaching or managing uh, children and young people. And it's very important as well to mention at this stage that it is not only about children, it's about young people and um, that you um, understand that concept and it's part of your assessment. Safety and quality, which part of it is about your knowledge and about your skills, but as well about the way you address each station. Communication, you had um, the teaching um, uh, uh, previously, and mainly it's about the verbal communication, but obviously it includes the written communication, which is about letters or uh, uh, writing some uh, information to the family or to the children. Although you're not practicing that, but you can add this at the end of your station by saying, and obviously you will get a letter uh, that uh, will uh, summarize our consultation. But uh, I would like to highlight here that the virtual skills now are developing um, because of the COVID-19 and the telemedicine, and this is something as well to make, be aware of. 
what people are looking for is that you will be a junior colleague, a good team player, a pediatrician. And um, this um, is something that actually you can utilize during your consultation or during your virtual um, uh, assessment. Um, on the right side, these are the main um, safety, quality, um, um, assurance, and clinical governance areas. But I would like you to concentrate on two, the pediatric early warning score, the PEW score, and situation awareness for everyone. So um, um, you, you should, by now, be familiar with the early warning score. What does it mean? When to use it? What its benefits? What are the, its pitfalls? And how are you utilizing it as well? Um, situation awareness for everyone, and I will um, uh, come to talk about this in, um, um, in, in this talk. Next slide, please. So uh, the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, it's very important for everybody to know that they have been leading in quality improvement and patient safety. So they are very proud of it, and therefore most of the assessors will be. And there are six domains for quality. Um, there was a training course, and now that's going expanding. And the six domains for quality is that um, you are safe, um, effective, uh, person-centered. You're thinking about the child, the young person, the family. Um, timely may not be can that can be mentioned during your um, when you are talking about a scenario. Um, um, efficient, that's about cost-effective, and now during the COVID-19, there are plenty of examples. And uh, equitable is very as well important as we are aware with COVID-19, there has been a lot of issues about equity, diversity, and inclusion. So if there is any hint within the scenario about that, you have to highlight that you are aware and understanding, and you will, con you will apply um, uh, equitable care for all uh, patients, um, and um, if they require a translator, if they you need to look into their um, cultural background, and therefore this is will be a bonus um, um, in your assessment. Next slide, please. So when we talk about the concept of governance, and allow me just in two slides to zoom out uh, from the exam and talk about the concept of governance. Now, as you are um, uh, applying for a senior trainee uh, post, um, your expectation, you know, the expectation that you will be understanding what is governance, what is clinical governance, and as well you understand that there is a organization governance or the trust boards. Um, so I will just highlight some of these points. Next slide, please. So if you look at the generic uh, meaning of governance, and some people will think, oh, governance means uh, the power, uh, means the president of the country, uh, means Boris Johnson. But in, um, in a simple term, governance is how a group uh, will organize themselves to make decisions. And for this decisions to be right um, and effective, there has to be a responsive, a responsive, innovative, inclusive leadership. So we need a leader that um, understands happening and respond and flexible to the surrounding, use new methods and include everybody. And you're doing this every day um, in your shifts, whether it's daytime, but in particular at the night shift. And we will come and talk about that. In the next slide, please. Uh, so the National Health Services, um, and as well, this is a concept that you have to understand very well, um, that it is built on social justice and social services. 
and, and um, in, 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 in a broader sense, um, the National Health Service is like an institution or an environment. It is um, a place where citizens and stakeholders interact with each other uh, to provide public services and utilize public resources. So um, when you're coming to work in the NHS, you are a public servant, in a, you know, if you use the term, and you are using public resources. Um, so you have to provide the care that um, for the citizens, for your patient, um, they are satisfied with, and they feel that they are part of it and they are involved in it. And this is important when you come uh, to talk about the involvement um, of the patients and the family in um, the scenario. Next slide, please. So generally, when we talk about NHS and trust borders, uh, there is, a, a, you know, um, a, so trust boards are about who's responsible. So um, who is the um, um, named doctor for safeguarding, for example? Who is the clinical governance lead? Who is the guidelines and audit lead? So these are, you know, responsibilities that are important. There are programs and standards um, and recommendations, and there is an assessment, whether that's internally or whether that's CQC externally, uh, to assure quality and continue on quality improvement. And there is always a risk assessment um, and a risk register. Again, I'll, I'll refer back to the COVID-19, that there will be a risk assessment and there will be a mitigation to prevent risk. So always, um, uh, you have to talk about preventing risk and if not even if it happens it should cause no harm so reduce its effect and this is one of the important aspects that we are going to talk about next slide please next slide please I don't know whether you can can you hear me very well thank you so during this assessment what is expected that you do demonstrate your awareness and your understanding as well that you are practicing clinical governance and you are applying it and promoting it. And that's very important. Um, in the next slide, um, we are going to talk about clinical governance, uh, the, the uh, presentation in the next slide, please. Um, this um, definition, I think you know it now by heart. If anybody um, is not aware of the definition of clinical governance, uh, please get in touch with me. I'm happy to explain it um, uh, and, 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 and give some tips. Uh, but uh, most of those who have sat for the PLAP or have done an exams are already aware of the definition. But now you are at the stage, you are not going just to repeat or rehearse the, the definition in front of the assessor. No, you have to show how it works and what does it mean. And it, it's very simple. It's doing the right thing at the right time by the right person. This is uh, much clearer and more practical. So um, what you want to um, demonstrate that you are aware of clinical governance, of what does it mean, and how would you apply that? And it's part of good medical practice in the GMC as well. Next slide, please. So uh, what are the seven pillars of clinical governance? And here you can see about six um, of them. So I'll, we'll go to, the, after I finish, then we'll, we will we'll talk about number seven. So um, 
what I would suggest uh, when you are um, uh, preparing for your um, exam is to look at the pillars for clinical governance and to have two or three examples for each. I as well, I would like to remind you that any of these examples will be applied for most of these areas. So if you, for example, take a, you know, um, there was a, an incident reported about um, a drug um, error that the dose was prescribed wrongly, or it was uh, prescribed right, but it was the there was a problem in administration. So there was a risk, there was an incident reported, that's number one. So this is when, number one in clinical governance, incident reporting, DATIX. Um, then this was inve investigated um, and the risk um, assessment came out that there is an issue about um, the um, prescribing, uh, about the drug cardex, um, about the calculation, about the weight. So there was a recommendation. Um, so a clinical audit was planned, um, looking at that the standard will be 100%. Uh, no uh, error in prescribing, uh, looking at what's been, how many errors happened in the last six months, what was these errors. Then there was recommendation. Um, so there was a protocol about drug prescribing. There was a plan to include it in the education and training in induction, um, as well as using the advice from the Royal College, because there is a video about prescribing. And then after six months, there was another audit or there was a quality improvement project and looking at the uh, drug codex um, every week and um, assessing um, whether there is a, a pediatric pharmacist um, assessing the uh, drug codex and reviewing them and how many errors were identified and who was a prescriber or what was the issue with the um, errors. And, and looking at the clinical effectiveness will be um, you are aware about drug errors, you have done your training, you know how to use um, the uh, electronic um, prescribing um, uh, system or software, um, you have been trained in the mandatory, um, you know, by the mandatory teaching or mandatory training before starting the job. Um, and, and therefore, so you can take one example, and in this example, you can apply all of these uh, pillars. And as you may, as you must probably heard me talking about quality improvement, as quality improvement as a moment, at the moment considered as important as clinical audit, um, and therefore you, we need to understand about clinical audit and quality improvement project. Um, in the next slide, um, I will talk about the seventh pillar. which is about the information uh, governance or information management and about um, how is this important um, about documentation, about as well confidentiality. Um, and, and one of the example uh, datex or incidents is dropping the hand over um, sort of sheet uh, in the uh, restaurant while you're getting your food and then someone picked from the public the um, handover sheet and found uh, some scribbles names or hospital numbers and obviously this is something that has to be investigated yeah okay 
So um, coming to the SAFE principle, and this is very important, um, if you review it in the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, and it will help you actually in the virtual uh, scenarios. Um, if you go back, yeah, this one, thank you. Uh, in the uh, SAFE principles, which is situation awareness for everyone, it, it talks about the clinical governance and about the quality improvement and about safety. So uh, it is, a, uh, if you, we take a, the common example about being the registrar at night, um, that you uh, are the leader um, and you have your team and you will assess the situation. So you are coming and you know you, it's a Friday evening, um, it will be very busy and you have taken the handover. So the first part will be handover and uh, you have assessed the risk, who is sick and who will need your first attention, who's working with you. Is it a foundation doctor? Is it an, a pediatric trainee? Is it a GP trainee? So how much um, duties and responsibilities you can give to your SHO? The next will be what's happening within your other team members, which are the nursing staff. Um, are they full capacity? Is there shortage? Do you have an issue on the ward with a mental health patient that needs one-to-one? -one? And what is the situation in A&E? Um, do they need your help? So you have done the handover, the proper effective handover using SPAM, and you have done a huddle, um, and you know what's happening in your department, and you know what are the duties, and you are the leader, and you will determine what you can achieve, and when will you need help, and uh, when would you like to call your senior for advice. There are other issues that are very important and will help you is about identifying a deteriorating child. So yeah, it's important to identify a sick child from your immediate assessment, but you may have some children that there are possibility that they may deteriorate during their stay. And therefore, highlighting these patients and making sure that you review them um, every four hours or every three hours or every two hours, whatever plans you have, and using not only the early warning score. So there may be some question or some hints about what if the uh, pediatric early warning score was a zero for a patient, but you felt that this patient actually may deteriorate. What I'm trying to say that the pediatric early warning score on its own is not enough. It's about the clinical judgment and the clinical thinking, and as well about the experience and the prediction that this patient may deteriorate. So you have to utilize or use the information that you have within your clinical capacity. Next slide, please. So I would like here, if possible, I don't know whether I have time or not, um, to have um, 30 seconds to think about practical examples that you have. Um, um, what guidelines have you been involved in? Or you have uh, protocols. What updates have you provided to your team? So you can use this. What safety alerts were important in changing your practice? Have you been involved in an incident as you're reporting the incidents or part of an incident and then you learned from it? Have you been involved as part of a complaint and there was transparency and openness and um, apology after um, an assessment um, of the complaint? Thinking about your mandatory training and you are applying that because that's part of the clinical governance, in particular the infection and protection um, sort of uh, uh, training about information governance. Um, prescribing is an important aspect. So think about examples that can help you. 
Documentation and communication, I think we have covered that part. And the referral pathway and the triage over the phone or online, this is an important aspect now as a lot of work is uh, taking place uh, online. So it's important if you have been involved in any of these areas to use practical examples. And you can write that on the chat for later for me just to have a look and comment if you wish. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, going ahead and during the COVID-19 and the last year, um, there are certain areas that can come um, in your assessment about telemedicine and telehealth, um, about um, patients with special um, or they have complex needs and how would you care for them during the COVID-19 in a scenario. We talked about the Pew score, its limitation and its use. Um, when you're talking about teaching and it's part of the clinical governance or learning or continuous personal development, try to use as much as you can of variety of ways that you are learning and you are delivering as well knowledge and skills, not only departmental, uh, for example, teaching, but use um, different methods. Social media is, is very important. And if you have been involved, for example, in arranging this um, sort of training, um, and um, so show that you are using different varieties. Now, um, safeguarding in children, although there will be maybe no scenario, but it's important as well uh, to be um, aware because if anything um, in the scenario may require that, so that you are trained, you know um, um, who to talk to, designated team for safeguarding, as well as mental health and camps, um, especially if there are any suggestion that uh, there may be need for further assessment about mental health. So you have to be holistic in your approach because that's part of um, uh, sort of being effective um, uh, pediatrician. Next slide, please. So um, there is a lot of um, interest, um, you know, in the last few years about communication, about openness, about um, uh, explaining errors, uh, being very open about it, investigating it um, and apologizing and making um, the patient and the family aware of the error and what does it mean short term, what does it mean long term, what have you learned as a team and what changes have been made. And if I just give a very simple um, um, uh, example, um, if we have a child that has been referred uh, from by the GP because the GP was concerned about the bruise, but the GP did not explain to the family that they're coming for safeguarding assessment, the family then has to be subjected to a lot of investigation, social services, um, everything came back negative and the child went home, but they complained that they were not aware about this um, referral and the journey. So. As a pediatrician, you are part of the journey. You have accepted the referral from the GP and you have to check that the family um, are aware of their referral. You have to apologize if they were not and should have explained from the beginning about it. And uh, the changes um, that have been applied is there is a pathway for referral between uh, GPs and our team and in the future, and uh, there is a check uh, list that uh, families are aware about uh, they are they're coming for safeguarding assessment, obviously, unless there's other issues that- Five minutes left, sorry, Dr. Sarah. No, that's okay. So next slide, please. 
So what is unique about pediatrics and child health? And that's for you when you are want to talk um, as your career and bringing clinical governance. There is a lot of issues that you should be um, using and be aware of uh, inside the hospital and outside the hospital. And that's about development, growth, um, food security, malnutrition, issues about pediatric staffing and rota or shortage of staff, being aware of the COVID-19 and the effect that has caused about patient not, not approaching health services. And that has led that non-COVID um, effect on children has increased. Um, uh, next slide, please. Um, as well, there is an important uh, concept about why children die in the UK. It's a six years now old, but it's very important if you are going to talk about your interest in one of the specialities. So we can look at um, the, some of these figures and say that still there is a need uh, in this area for more doctors or I'm interested because still children are dying from so and so. Next slide, please. So think that about yourself as being the leader, whether you are an SHO on the ward or the registrar at night, use the SAFE um, framework because that will help you. Uh, talk about the patient journey, um, about the discharge process, the safety net as a planner, a good planner, so that the patient and the family will have a positive experience. Uh, upon their visit to the hospital. Other areas that you have to talk about is uh, transitional care for young people who are moving towards adult services, as well as constants and confidentiality. When you're talking about your team, remember the nurses, the advanced nurse practitioners, the physician associate, the healthcare assistant, and others. But as well, uh, make um, your listener understand that you understand um, your limitation and you will ask for help uh, promptly. Thank you. I think that's the last slide, if I'm not mistaken. Good luck. And um, uh, there's some um, links that you can look at um, that will help you, especially in the area of research and studies that have been conducted recently in COVID-19. So even if you have not been involved, you can refer back to it. Thank you. Um, if there are any questions, I'm happy to answer them, or they can be sent to me and I can uh, write them. And send them back. Uh, thanks, Dr. Sarah. We don't have a question at the moment. Uh, and thanks for covering such a huge topic in such, a, and you make it very simplified. And as you mentioned, if anyone has any questions or queries, he can contact you, or we are happy as any one of our team to sort that out. We will uh, still have like two minutes. We will wait if any more questions. Thank you, Khalid. Um, um, I'm happy anyway to be contacted if, um, if there is any question. And uh, if there anybody, um, especially those who are not in the UK, have any specific questions about clinical governance um, and they want to check, that would be fine. So we have one question now. It's what's about maintaining of mental well-being among COVID. Any approach? 
Um, that's a very important question and you have to take it as um, when you are talking with uh, parents and children um, and advising about whether they need to come to the hospital because sometimes they don't want to come to the hospital and therefore you have to um, triage and make a full assessment whether the child needs to come to the hospital or there is a care that can be provided in primary care. But as well, you have to provide advice to the family if you feel the child needs to come by giving them facts uh, about uh, safety and about what measures will be applied in the hospital to make them safe because each hospital has got that. Um, as well, you have to be linked with their uh, GP and with the health visitor uh, if you feel that they need additional support. If it's something that's affecting the child themselves as a mental health and you feel that's um, something that requires an assessment, then you have to make a referral to CAMS. If it's the family or the parents, you have to take their permission and ask them whether they feel like they need to speak to their GP. If it's your colleague or if it's your someone of the member of your staff, then you have to speak to the line manager or the clinical director if you feel that someone of your colleague may need to be referred to occupational health. Uh, okay, thank you. I think we, 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 our time is uh, finished now. Thank you, Dr. Sarah. Thank you. Uh, so I think we will go ahead. We have a uh, next important topic and it's about mm -hmm. reflective practice. Uh, it will be presented by Dr. Muhammad uh, Muttalib. He's a pediatric gastroenterologist consultant at Evelina Children Hospital. And uh, and also, uh, I'm not sure if he's around. Uh, Hani, could you tell me, please? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Uh, okay. Thanks, uh, Dr. Mohammed. Also, for uh, it's uh, we know it's weekend and it's difficult to come, but uh, we appreciate that. Nothing much. Okay. So we can start. I think. Okay. Mungkin. Um... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think Hani is the moderator. Uh, or I, I think I think you can share your screen directly. You don't need any permissions for that. All right. Excellent. Okay. I'm going to talk about reflective practice. I'm going to talk about combination of both. أنا أفتكر إنه في حاجة مهمة الناس بود ونيت ريلي تناو. طيب الغرض من ال من التوك بتاعي الليلة is mainly معلش دكتور اللي ممكن تعلي صوتك شوية؟ okay let me just get the mic up a bit سامعني كده؟ yes much better much better alright طيب أنا بتقل كنا الغرض من ال من التوك الليلة إنه to get you prepared for interview uh, I interview a lot of people, a common things, a common themes people interview, you, you mixed up between actually what happened in real life and what's expected in the interview. An interview is, is a scenario let, they are the MRCBCH exams, it's exactly the same thing, you're not in real life scenario. You've been assessed for everything you say, you've been assessed for every questions or every answer you raised. ده مختلف تماما عن انه اي واحد يكون قاعد في الاي ان اي لانه in real life things goes in a different way لكن في interview scenario او في MRCBCH scenario I expect most of you has already passed an MRCBCH that's why you're applying for ST4 um, for it, it's similar principle you need to give the people who ask you a question 
either they be assessor or the interviewer, you need to give them the answer they look for. Then they could assess you. Uh, interview قريب, you realize that people start writing. They write because they got what they want. But the concept is important you have to dissociate between the two. You have to dissociate between what, you, what answers you give during an interview and what answers you give during your normal day-to-day -day activities. They should be the same. Lakin Lahzin the training bitana is very different, the background bitana is very different, but you really have to get yourself out of that of, of your day-to-day -day shoes and put yourself into the interview shoes. This is particularly important when there is a tricky questions. So if they ask you a question that is really, really tricky, remember there is no child at the end of this question. So don't be shying away about giving an answer because your answer is not really directed towards a family. You're not upsetting a family. They're not right in front of you. And that is very, very important. So let's start. What's reflection? And what's reflective practice? Um, so reflection, it's a process. It's individualized, it's personalized. There isn't really one size fits all. Uh, it's a process by which an individual, and that's, it's really important to think of it as an individual. Everyone has a very different individual reflective practice. You think analytical, again, uh, important, about anything relating to the professional practice with the intention of gaining insight and using the lessons learned to maintain good practice or make improvement where possible. Um, الحاجة دي لاكين عندنا شوية في في معظم التريننج بتاعنا للناس اللي has been trained في السودان إنهم we do things concrete that's how things are done this is you how you carry on doing things and if there's no mistakes done then you're doing it right the concept of reflection practice take you out of that and put you in a different context اللي هو إنهم there's always wherever stage you are in you're in process of a dynamic stage rather than a static stage. There's always different way to improve. So you, you're doing things, you don't have to reflect on only bad things. You reflect on good things. You ref, you've got a pathway that's working really, really well. You still need to reflect because there's always room to improve. So the process of reflection, it's a dynamic process that follow people. It doesn't only apply to SD1. It doesn't only apply to SD4. It applies to all of us. And you use it a constant process you have to put in your in your portfolio when you're training and you have to put in your appraisal when you're not in training. And why is it important? reflection GMC huge impact on reflection. as an organization, as as a team as a whole, you reflect on the quality of the systems. If you look at yourself, put yourself into an organization, it's a huge organization, all coming together. You have multiple teams coming, you have multiple systems coming, you have multiple um, sustainabilities going different ways. Uh, what is important is you need to learn the lessons and you need to change, make changes to improve what you deliver, because that will provide a safer culture, that will provide a better patient care, and that will provide a better system. For you as an individual, and, and particularly in healthcare, you need to reflect on the quality of care that you deliver, and you need to learn from the lessons, and you need to make changes. Why is that? Again, that will provide a safer culture. It will provide a better patient care, but also it will make you a safer professionals. لأنه إحنا في 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 مارس طب في الآخر 
uh, things always uh, are prone to unpredictability, uh, are prone to safety issues. You need to learn and you need to find out always how to improve things. And as a leadership and as an educational aspect, you need to also to provide a safe systems, you need to provide a better patient care, you need to provide better um, professionals. A GMC has a huge emphasis um, on reflection and reflective practice practitioner, which is standalone guidance. It's called guidance for doctors and medical students. So even from medical students, we expect medical students uh, to reflect. Practice in the UK, it's a clinical uh, supervisor for medical students. portfolio medical students you have to have a reflective practice before you move on um, from one module to another module. So reflection is very important. Reflection is really, really, really vital. And a, a, a difference between you know, uh, training people for trained in the UK, um, undergraduate training in the UK, it will have it ingrained in your mind. It just comes to you as natural. Uh, they've not been trained in the UK, uh, particularly for undergraduate training of the UK. Early. For you need to learn it. For you need to learn it, you need to learn it in the right way. Uh, here, reflective note that uh, led to led to a court appearance. Uh, to rethink about what actually, how honest I should be in my reflection. Um, that led led to in duty of candor. duty of candor. It is it's an acceptance and honestness and openness and, and accept mistakes has happened and, and accept your role and responsibility for mistakes has happened. Like in, at, at, there is a fine line. Your reflection is not about mistakes acceptance. Reflection is not about acknowledging and, and, and mistakes or acknowledging your part in doing things wrong. Reflection is a reflect on the whole of the process and see if there's any ways that it can take you over. And it is not only for negative, it's for negative and for positives. I'll just please shout it off. I'll write it for chat while we're talking. And I thought in Nubataka, what will be the best way in and reflective practice? Uh, reflection is a huge topic. reflection uh, UK or in the home portfolio or in the home non-training in the home portfolio for non-training doctors, they have to have uh, a reflective at some point. And education supervisor doing reflections. But Nasal Mashagala if you can take in home concept active reflection. I have no idea. There's no reflection. Why do I need to reflection? فقلت أنا أفتكر إنه كده لو نخد نخد مثال في الموضوع ده ونشوف إنه ممكن نصل كيف لإنه how would we reflect on المثال ده um, four year old known epilepsy gel A and E uh, by prolonged seizure subsequently admitted to intensive care to PICU following a respiratory arrest أنت كنت registrar on call for that weekend when he arrived in A and E about midday between the child arrival in a &E and their respiratory arrest. In the course of management of the child's seizure, they received five doses of benzodiazepines. The child was then given a loading dose of phenobarb, which quickly stopped their seizure. The on-call consultant arrived at the child is being admitted to intensive care. Any questions for history though? Anything is striking you at all? 
now? Okay. Uh, I think the question. Uh, Fees all kal haja. Yeah, we have a lot of yeah. talking about five doses given. Benzodiazepines. Okay. Yeah. So why Absolutely. five doses? Five doses. In correct. Um, and I'm. And I'm. I'm.
okay? So the pediatric consultant then discuss with the pediatric registrar and together they discuss with the colleagues in A&E and the pediatric unit. It was flagged as an EMS, the incidents through the hospital safety reporting system. Uh, as part of the duty of counter, the registrar supported by the consultant explained to the family what has happened, where had been an error and why this has resulted in respiratory arrest. So discussion included an apology and explanation for the incidents in the incident reporting system of the hospital. So that's wrapped up the incidents, that wrapped up what has happened for the child and we've discussed the salient point of the process throughout um, what has happened. So what reflection? Reflection, there's too many ways to do reflection. There isn't really one right way and wrong one, one wrong way. And I thought I will just bring one of the areas I find really easy, uh, the Gibbs method of reflection, which A, you describe what has happened. Um, and the second step is your feeling. Uh, so see what, has, what were you thinking and feeling? Then you evaluate what was good and bad about the experience. Then you analyze what sense can you make of the experience? Then you conclude, which is what do you need to improve on? And then you action plan, how will you improve? And then that will take you back again into the same description. So it's a cycle of reflection. And that what the trigger for this, it doesn't always have to be a mistake. The trigger could be good things and trigger could be less of the good things. So I thought if I put myself into the registrar's shoes and I was asked to write a reflection, my, my, th my thinking will be, I could write something like that. I was involved in an incident. Uh, the patient had a respiratory arrest, secondary to repeated dose of benzodiazepine at home and at hospital. The patient was retrieved to a PICU, ventilated for one day and discharged after a full recovery. Unfortunately, the family did not tell us about the diazepam they gave at home and the paramedics did not tell us about the midazolam they gave in the ambulance. I explained this to the family. I was happy. I had explained everything to them and continued with my other job. That what what I will that what I would write, and I thought that followed the description, the feeling, the evaluation, the analysis, the conclusion, and the action plan. Okay. Um, I'll stop here. I think I have a couple of minutes. What do you think of my reflection? Is a reflection only about negative situation? No, it's not a negative situation. Reflection can be about positive and can be about negative. System failure, leadership issue. Um, I've put mistakes on others, correct? Okay. Anyone else wanted to tell me about my reflection? It's a very short one. It's a very short, in which way? Yeah. So in way, I think uh, we need to go in more details, okay? Uh, uh, in, in, in areas that needs to be improved also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have to follow the, the, the circle. Yeah. We have to follow the when circle. Write, so yeah. in a nutshell, this is really, really bad reflection. If that's written in that, this would not be a reflection at all whatsoever. So what is written in front of you is just an example of how you should not do reflection. Because clearly this is not a reflective. That what I wrote in this in the slide is I, I wrote a description of what has happened. I've put myself away. I start blaming everyone around me, and I've started uh, taking the moral high ground. I'm saying, oh, I didn't really do anything uh, wrong with that. It's the family didn't tell me. The PIC, the uh, ambulance didn't tell me. The the A and E did not tell me. I didn't do anything. I went and explained to the family. I'm the good guy. Uh, no harm done the child. 
I wrote down in my book and I ticked the box. Okay. Uh, and it, it's it's you correct as as people have been writing in, in the chat is this is not a reflection so the what i want you to understand that is not how you reflect on the things so i will is i will just in the last couple of minutes before i finish and i'm i'm sorry i'm over um, um, we got two minutes got two minutes so you've got the two minutes hey you need to describe the description should be just describe what has happened and your first task of things um you describe the whole incidents uh, from the start to finish, and you read to describe your feeling. How did you feel like when this child went to intensive care? As, as you're coming across, why did you uh, normally, when you come to any scenario, as any of you has been in any multiples of time, you normally ask about things. You ask about what has happened. You ask about what doses were given, what medication was given. What's your feeling? What what makes you in that time were you really stressed? Were you really very busy? What what was going on within that scenario? What's going on in your mind when you walked into that scenario? Um, from from the child. Then you evaluate what went well and what, what did not went well. So it, there is a number of steps. Everyone did their best intention. So the parents did their best intention of following their protocol. They gave them, so there has been the ambulance did their best intention to follow their protocol. Each person has followed their protocol to the best intention. However, there is something lacking from that. What did not go well, it is no one is talking to each other at the particular time. Why was that? Is that because of the system really failure? That because the child was very sick? Is that because everyone made an assumption? So you need to go into a bit much more details. Why do you think we can't just play system failure? What does a system failure mean? Why big people? Because the paramedics normally should ask the questions. Why people had not asked the questions? Then your next step will be to analyze the set what has happened. What you need to make sense of the experience in the light of your previous experience and the published evidence. A lot of you have wrote in, in the chat box about uh, the protocols and the guidelines. Who knows the guidelines? What guidelines do you follow? Is your hospital guidelines is alliance with ABLS guidelines? Sorry, there's a lot of feedback. Can you mute your microphone if you're not talking, please? Um, you need to analyze it and you need to try to make sense from your analysis uh, because it's not a blame. The reflection is not about finding mistakes and blaming people for mistakes or blaming system for it. Reflection is trying to figure out what are things that went okay and what are the things that did not go okay and what makes things that don't go okay go okay. And you conclude from them, you analyze them and you're trying to identify ways to improve things. It, we're not in a court. Uh, in that aspect, and you're not in the blaming game and finding mistakes and finding, getting people, uh, hanging people out to try. Then you conclude, and your conclusion should be what could have been or need to be done differently. And that's where your chance not to write your own view about what well, I think in, in a different settings, because you're reflecting, you're not in front of the child, that would, should have has happened. And from that, you devise an action plan. The action plan could be as simple as a, a checklist for people who walks in from a and &E for an ambulance and asking what exactly uh, the child has received before. Um, and okay, and uh, or what is your what is your handover between ambulance? and A and E, what's the handover between the resource team and the pediatrics team and X and Y and that. And that will take you back again to your last bits, which is um, your description of the incidents. Um, so that is all of what I wanted to say today. And there is a journey before you become an awesome, you need to practice and the practice is part of reflection. So I don't know if I have any time to take any questions or do we need to conclude? Moderator, do I have time for questions? Has anyone had a question?
Uh, I think uh, time is uh, time is finished, but uh, okay. I, I cannot see any questions. Right. Excellent. So um, for the one so, I will see can, later. Do, do, we, do we have any? Uh, I have a question, guys. Uh, hello? OK, yeah. Uh, sample for this scenario for yeah I have. As, as a sample as a sample yeah, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a ideal answer yeah. yes yeah yeah um thank you email if chat if you can email me i don't know email if you email me okay. i will okay. i will email you the what is the right answer for this question? Shukran, boss. Shukran. I think, th thank you, Dr. Muhammad. I think this is one of the best, even for me, I'm now pediatric trainee, was one of the best like uh, lecture about how to reflect. And uh, it's not only for the candidate who's going. I think even us, we benefit from the, this lecture. Thank you. Thank you a lot. Dikrafia. So um, I'm happy to, I'm happy in home, uh, in to contact me. That's my email address. Please feel free to write an email. Laufikum Ayyizul has been shortlisted. Feel free to write to me directly. Uh, for the people I will meet later on uh, for the mock test, we can discuss um, a bit more, more details. Good luck for everyone I don't meet later. And hope to see you sometime. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اليوم في الفيديو ده هنكلمكم بشكل مختصر السودانية لطب وصحة الطفل اللي هي British Sudanese Association of Pediatrics and Child Health أو اختصارا BSAPCH هل عندكم فكرة على الجمعية دي؟ طيب للناس اللي ما عندها فكرة هي جمعية خيرية غير ربحية وتعليمية تم تكوينها في المملكة المتحدة سنة 2003 يعني لها زي 17 سنة من أهم الأهداف اللي قامت على أساس الجمعية دي هي دعم وتنسيق الجهود للنهوض بخدمات الطفل في وطننا السودان طبعا بالإضافة للمساهمة في دعم الحالات الإنسانية بشكل عام في السودان وبالنسبة للأعضاء فالجمعية تهدف إنه تساعدهم في تطوير نفسهم أكاديميا ومهنيا الجمعية وبجهود أعضاء قدرت تحقق بعض الإنجازات في الفترة الماضية على سبيل المثال التعاون المستمر مع جمعية الأطفال السودانية ودعمها في عدة مجالات أبرزها الدعم المادي والعيني وإمدادات لوجستية كأجهزة الحاسوب والبروجيكتر والمنكانات التي تستعمل في كورسات الإنعاش الرئوي دعم فريق طبي متخصص في علاج أورام الأطفال من مستشفى نوتنغهام وتقديم دورات تدريبية مكثفة في مراكز علاج السرطان في السودان إمدادات طبية متواصلة زي معدات السلامة للأطباء العاملين في الخطوط الأمامية في جائحة الكورونا تقديم المحاضرات وورش العمل والمساهمة في مؤتمرات جمعية الأطفال العلمية الجمعية بالتأكيد حتكون الممثل لكل المختصين والمهتمين بصحة الطفولة وحتكون فرصة طيبة نطور فيها اهتماماتنا المشتركة ونتواصل من خلالها الفيديو ده دعوة لكل المهتمين بصحة الطفل في المملكة المتحدة وجمهورية إيرلندا 
للانضمام للجمعية والمساهمة في تفعيل نشاطها من جديد والخدمة في برامجها لتقوم بدورها الأكمل لتحقيق أهدافها ندعوكم لزيارة موقعنا على الإنترنت اللي حيظهر على الشاشة وتعبئة فورم التسجيل وكمان موجودين على مواقع التواصل الاجتماعي اللي حتظهر على الشاشة برضو شكراً كثير على المتابعة وزي ما دايماً بنقول سوا أكيد بنقدر